Hey family, welcome to episode 47 of the Kinship Collective podcast. I'm Mark and we are ending otherness by sharing, lamenting, and celebrating our stories and reimagining scripture together. This week, we had an incredible conversation about disability with Liz Stazik. Liz shared with us her experience of growing up disabled and her coming out moment where she chose being fully seen over pretending to be able-bodied. We talked through difficult tensions from Bible stories and how we use Jesus' healing stories to belittle our disabled siblings. And then we reimagine Luke 21 verses 1 through 6 together. Without further ado, here's Liz. Ladies and gentlemen, today I get to have an incredible conversation with a sister who has always embodied hope and love and faith in ways that always made me smile. She uh, was a friend and is a friend from seminary, my time there. She is an advocate. She does some speaking and consulting around disability she is incredibly educated. She's got a BA and two master's degrees. She even mastered the divine. Uh, she is, but most importantly to me, she is a really thoughtful, present voice and presence around what it means to be disabled. I want to say able because I think I'm in this ten, tense place. Um, where I'm learning about this. So I don't want to highlight the disability, but that's kind of why we're here today because I need your help and we need your help to think differently about this. I've been reading what you've recommended. All of that to say, <laughs> we are graced with our sister, Liz Stasek. Come on. Liz, I'm Hi. so glad you're here. Hello. Uh, Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so grateful to have you. You you heard, I think that's the most confused I think I've ever done an intro. I should have just focused on who you are and welcomed you in, but I already got caught up in where I feel around disability. So let me locate myself. I've always been someone who try to use language around different ability and trying to change the language and, and my posture. My mother's best friend growing up had a son who was Down syndrome. And so I, was, I always kind of grew up around disability, but my posture is always ability. But I know that sometimes that that is overlooking accessibility and it doesn't quite honor where people are at. So our last conversation was with a sister named Sammy, Sammy Hammer, who started the Precious Kids Center in Kenya. And I started to get confused about, okay, wh what do I do with the image of God when we think about the Kinship Collective and the messaging and the, the, 
the news we're trying to spread is that everyone is made in the image of God. There is no other. There is no us and them. There's just us. And as I was having that conversation with Sammy, I started to think about like, what is, what am I thinking around disability and a disabled body? Like, is that a less than, is that something that God has yet to heal? Is that something? So I really appreciate some of the literature that you've given me to read up on. And it's been really, really helpful. And still, I walk into this conversation stumbling over my words, not exactly sure how to go there. And so I needed your help to think through some of this stuff. With all that being said, Liz, like what comes to you as I say all that? So much. I think a lot of people, including myself, just feel bumbly and fumbly when it comes to topics outside of ourselves. I, you know, I feel it when I talk to uh, my friends who are transgender or when I talk Mm -hmm. about race relations. And, um, and I think for me, it's really important we can have grace for each other and, and sort of help each other along. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, I, my goal is to make people feel comfortable with the uncomfortable, if mm-hmm. that tracks, um, yeah. to really just say, to call a duck a duck. Uh (laughs) so if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck it's a duck you know (laughs) Uh um and i like to think about just uh, i'm 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 a very transparent person Mm -hmm. i'm i'm a pretty blunt person it's just kind of my natural way of being and i've Mm -hmm. had to learn how to sort of like tailor that and tone that down and you know, for different conversations. Mm-hmm. But for these kind, I think it's particularly helpful because what I hope it does is set people at ease. Um, mm-hmm. It's okay to fumble and bumble your words. I don't care. It's all right. <laughs> we'll walk through it. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it. You know, for me, I'm all about calling a spade a spade. Like, I don't need someone to say I'm differently abled. Yeah. I'm just disabled. <laughs> and so are you, and so is the next person, and so is the next person. You know, mine are just more obvious. Mm. Um, so, and that's, I'm saying something that's sort of controversial <laughs> in the disability community at large. You know, there's definitely sort of a polarization of disabled and abled, right? And, um, but I like to, I think like you, find the common ground more, um, find where we can connect, mm-hmm. um, because ultimately it leads to more fruitful conversations. Mm-hmm. And even though some things that we say might not come out as graciously as we'd hoped or even offensive, there's mm-hmm. room for apology and there's room to move on and move forward. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what's coming to my mind right away when you're saying that oh well liz i really appreciate your grace in that and that's exactly why we're having this conversation with you and when you say that it makes me think of in the race conversation there's different places that we can be and sometimes there's a strong voice where you're advocating for something clearly like i think about the spectrum on that also so when you're when you're being so gracious with me, I'm just thinking of, man, there are a lot of people who 
rightfully so, wouldn't be as gracious because they are the voice that is asserting a position and fighting and advocating for accessibility. And sometimes there can be, like there can't be compromise in that mindset sometimes as it relates to like fighting for justice and accessibility in that way. So I guess I'm I'm just acknowledging the similarity between both of those and the reality that not everyone will be this gracious to me or to anybody who has a question, which is why you become the bridge building person to help us navigate some of this and what this can feel like uh, in our conversation. Liz, for me, when you shared that about being on that spectrum of ability and disability and the way you think of it as a spectrum versus some of the ways that people think of it as a dichotomy or um, two polar kind of opposites, it made me think about something you said before about what it has meant for you to embrace disability and what it has meant. You mentioned the word coming out as disabled. Would you share a little bit about what that experience has been like for you? Yes, definitely. I think I think you had asked me um, maybe beforehand, like, you know, what does it mean to be disabled and proud? Mm. And I know especially in... Um, religious circles pride is not really a like a really well embraced word right mm-hmm. um it kind of has a negative connotation um and so when i i i grew up and let me start with a little disclosure kind of disclaimer is mm-hmm. that my story is my own and Come nobody on. else's and i can't speak for others right? right just myself right i can make observations about things i see And that disclosing disability is an incredibly risky and vulnerable task, Mm. um, especially in the marketplace, like with careers. Um, But because I'm trying to like dispel all that nonsense so that we can get to the heart of things and find fruit, I will disclose because I think it's helpful. Mm. I think it builds community instead of um, encouraging stigma. Mm. But even upon disclosure, stigma happens, right? Because yeah. once you say what you have or what you, you know, deal with, people already have thoughts about what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just figure we'll just keep talking <laughs> and hopefully I can dispel some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say I was born with cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And cerebral palsy is a very Um, there's a very wide spectrum on what it affects for certain people. Long story short, in my vague medical understanding of it, the baby or, or sometimes toddler, like depending on when, is deprived of oxygen, then there's brain damage. And the resulting brain damage will affect like muscle coordination, speech, um, maybe cognitive deficits, things like that. Um, And so... I kind of, there's actually a book I love by a guy named Zach Anner, and it's called If at Birth You Don't Succeed. (laughs) And it's it's so perfect. Um, And I just, I related to him so much as I read it. Um, He also has cerebral palsy. Mm. And and so you kind of come out of the womb already fighting, right? Or at least for me, I did. Um, But for my parents, it was sort of like, help her to have the most normal life she can. 
And in the medical model of disability, d- d- doctors are often focused on, you know, what's, what's non-pathological, what is normal, what is, you know, versus pathological defective, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and so for me with cerebral palsy, it made sense, the surgeries I had and things I um, endured because it's to get you to a place of more mechanical um, function, right? Mm -hmm. Um, mobility, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to be ambulatory, to walk, to run. So all those things were seen as good in my community growing up. And so, you know, you have the surgeries, you do the things, you're in the physical therapy. And at the same time, every little kid just wants to hang out with all the little kids and be normal and normal. And what is normal, right? But there is a spectrum of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable right Mm -hmm. and i was uh, because i'm a substitute teacher sometimes i observe kids you know playing like we call it duck duck gray duck in minnesota i think it's called (laughs) duck duck goose everywhere else (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say yeah the uh i was gonna say something ignorant like the right way to play is duck duck goose (laughs) but uh of course uh, (laughs) yeah so like you know imagine me i had you know, all these like ligament reattachments in second grade. And then I'm playing Duck Duck Grey Duck and I can't get out of the circle fast enough to chase the dude. You know, I'm always losing. Mm. And, you know, and that's okay. I mean, I think for the most part, every single disabled person I've ever met is the most adaptable, Mm. flexible, resilient um, person. You know, at least for me, it did build those things for me. But it also reinforced this idea. If I can be normal, if I can pass, mm. like I'll, I'll succeed. Come you on. know, I can, I, you know, so when, <laughs> when I started aging <laughs> out of my twenties <laughs> into my thirties, you know, you know, cerebral palsy takes an intense toll on people's joints and muscles and it stresses your body out and comes with a whole slew of side effects that we don't even need to go into here. But, you know, <laughs> it's very taxing, at least in my experience. And mm-hmm. I have what mm-hmm. is called probably a mild case of cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what ends up happening is your, your body just kind of poops out, right? <laughs> a little bit, at least for me. Uh-huh. And so, you know, as as fit as I used to be and used to run, do all these things... I, you know, I'm slowing down, mm-hmm. and I had I had my spine fused, a level of my spine fused that really slowed me down. Um, in the last five years or so, that's when I started using mobility aids um, like walking sticks mm-hmm. to get around. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, in Minnesota, people are pretty reserved; <laughs> they're not going to like pry into your personal experience of disability unless they know you pretty well um were you gonna say something no (laughs) man okay oh i for some reason i anyway uh so i i came out to pasadena to go to seminary and i'm using mobility aids and i sometimes wear compression socks i have problems with um that in my muscle you know so Mm. Then people are asking me about them. 
uh, kind of on the street, like coming up to me, can I pray for your healing? And I'm like, what is this? Yes. <laughs> I don't, Come on. You know, I, I'm not, Minnesotans are so reserved. I mean, okay, occasionally the older gentleman might be like, what's wrong with you? Or uh-huh. why do you got that cane and I've got one too? Or whatever, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but much more, I don't know, people are just bolder. <laughs> Once I was using more mobility aids, and I, it kind of brought me back to childhood. I remember, you know, times where I was using a wheelchair mm-hmm. after surgeries and things, and just the stares you kind of endure from everybody. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. is just curious for the most part, especially when you're a kid because you're cute. That's very marketable. Um, people love all those commercials with cute disabled kids in adaptive clothing and things like that society doesn't as much maybe care as we age (laughs) Um, as much you know Mm -hmm. so once I hit that point it was like I couldn't hide that I was disabled anymore Mm -hmm. um I desperately wanted to (laughs) um and I just, you know, really struggled with what do I do now, right? I can't, I can't deceive everybody anymore. Yeah. So now I have to be honest <laughs> about who I am, mm, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, at at seminary um, around the time that I think we had a class together, I was working with our access services director. Um, and she had asked me to speak about disability to the chapel or in chapel. Um, and I really did not want to do that. <laughs> and I really sat on that and was like, mm, pass. <laughs> um, mm. But wow. in the end, I did it. I prayed about it a lot. And I, um, and so to sort of bring all of these things full circle I really, that was sort of my coming out moment is I was like, I'm disabled. I, (laughs) you know, I couldn't hide. I literally couldn't hide. Mm. The podium they had in chapel was clear, like some kind of clear plastic. Uh And what happens when I get nervous is my muscles spasm. And so my legs will shake. Mm -hmm. And I was like, cool. Can't even hide that. Like (laughs) clear podium, you know? So it was really just kind of like, putting me out there right on right on camera for all to see and mm-hmm. so it was a scary moment um but it really changed my life for the better because i'm more willing to talk about it and embrace who i am in this moment and start grappling with all that stuff am i going to let people pray for me for my healing how come they thought i hadn't before uh you know why were they assuming that or did they think my faith was too small? Did you know? Well, I'm 33. I'm still disabled. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I'm still here. Yeah. Um, and I can definitively say that I think God hasn't healed me so far because my disability transforms me every day. Mm. It humbles me. It teaches me empathy. TBH, like, I'd be kind of a jerk, I think, if I wasn't disabled. I wouldn't care about anybody else. But Mm -hmm. here I am now, I have to sit. And I welcome being able to sit in the margins with people 
and learn from their experiences. And I don't have to hide anymore because, you know, back when I'm trying to pass, pass as able-bodied, I'm living kind of that double life, right? I, you know, I can uh, feel for folks who are marginalized, but I'm not going to get too close because what if I'm found out, you know? Um, And so kind of tossing that out the window and sort of saying like, okay, I'm just going to say it and it's going to be out there. Uh And now all these doors and windows open and it's like, ah, fresh air. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So I think that's like the, the beautiful part about embracing my disability rather than trying to pray it away, trying to heal it, trying to um, hide it um, is that I, I'm learning from everyone around me and, and listening and just trying to connect all the time. And, and say, you're not alone. We're together. We're in this together. Mm. And that has really changed my life for the better. So why would I ask God to take it from me? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's a part of me, you yeah. know? It's it's who I am. It's, I came literally came out this way, yeah. you know? Oh, I'm so grateful, Liz, for your generosity with that story. I feel like there's a couple things that really stand out to me. I'm going to, I really want to focus in on this person who welcomed you and said, no, this is something to share. This is something worthy of platform. We need to hear your perspective of things. Because I think as it relates to coming out in any kind of thing, I think of our brother Brian Tarada and the Be Free movement, Be Free stories, and the ways they talk about coming out as anything. I'm an undocumented immigrant. I am disabled. I am queer. I am a victim of whatever. I'm an addict. There's something powerful about being invited into that, that... like for you, it said you said, I was trying to um, able pass for able-bodied. And there came a moment when you could no longer pass, where you needed to rely on something that gave you away, so to speak. But someone invited you and said, "Like I'll walk with you. I see this differently." Would you share about in that process when you said you prayed a lot and you discerned? What were you feeling and sensing about what it meant to come out, to take that speaking opportunity and to use your voice and to come out publicly, so to speak? What did you sense throughout that process? Great questions. This is all pre-pandemic. And so now I'm like, what happened back then? (laughs) I feel like we endured this global trauma and I I don't even remember who I was five years ago. Mm, For sure. Um, Yeah. Uh, not with just the pandemic, but with everything happening in this world. Um, yeah. But yeah, so our director of access services, her name's Bethany McKinney Fox. Yeah. She's got an excellent book out called Disability in the Way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she she had emailed me to be like, would you speak? And I, was, I ignored the email because 
that's the kind of person I am. I'm a great person. <laughs> so I was like, mm, pass. And it, oh, the topic was gratitude and disability because it was around Thanksgiving. And I was like, I ain't grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely. I was just like, what am I going to talk about? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then actually you and I were in class together. I don't know. Do you remember this? Uh, we were in class and sure. we had, um, uh, at, uh, was it community practices of community? I think maybe, maybe. so. Okay. Maybe. Um, and we were reading that bit in Ma- Matthew where, uh, Jesus says like, look at the birds of the field, look at the flowers, like, I take care of them. Why would you think I wouldn't take care of you? Mm -hmm. And in that weird moment in this classroom (laughs) and seminary, God just really spoke to my heart. And I, I felt for the first time kind of a freedom from shame that I can't work as much as everybody else, that I can't produce as much. I can't earn as much money. I can't really provide for myself. I'm dependent on others, my family, you know. Yeah. Um, and it really hit my heart like, okay, the birds don't do anything. The flowers don't do anything. God provides for them. He'll provide for me. Mm. And I'm still valued. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but it really <laughs> impacted me. But after class, you came and gave me a hug. And I just was like blown away because I didn't know that other people maybe felt some similar things Mm. to me you know Mm -hmm. I thought that I was holding on to this shame I was like everyone else can do all this and I can't right Mm -hmm. but I don't know what moved you that day or you know anything I don't think we really knew each other but Mm. you just came and gave me this hug and it was so such a relief and such a such a medicine to Uh me and like it was such a beautiful moment Mm. um and so you were you were in the process, Mark. You wow. were in my like coming out process where I was yeah. like, oh dang, like maybe I don't have to hide this mm-hmm. and carry all of this and feel so much shame about it. And so I think in in I finally sat down. I said, "Do you still need someone to speak?" And Bethany was like, "Yeah, I was hoping you would c- come by." Oh. <laughs> it had been like three weeks, so I thought I was. <laughs> Maybe going to like somehow. Yeah. 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 And she was like, great, put you on the schedule. And I was like, "Mm, great. Yeah. Uh Uh, But I just started, I just really hung my hat on that bit of scripture. And I was like, okay, I'm not grateful for a lot about my disability at times. I'm in pain and I'm hurting and I'm tired and I, you know, There are so many things about it I hate and I just feel wretched about. Mm. So what would I feel grateful about? Well, I would feel grateful that it brought me to a place to realize God still values me beyond what I produce, Mm. that I have value regardless of my ability, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is sort of what I clung to. And it was sort of this baby first step stage that I feel like I'm still in sometimes where I'm just really unpacking all of these feelings that, you know, I pretty much kept to myself for 
the first three decades of my life. And then <laughs> now I'm like, oh, that was a lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh-huh. oh. So that's a little bit of how it, how it kind of came about. Mm-hmm. Liz, I want us to, I love that. Well, first of all, I, I didn't know, you know, I, I don't remember that moment in that class. I remember you being in classes and I remember your courage, the ways that you took up space. I remember your joy. And I remember, I just remember you being almost like unapologetically you even before, you know, some of this moment. So that's how I experienced you in, in our apartment complexes in and around campus and stuff like that. So I'm I'm just so grateful. To me, it's just that reminder of how when we treat each other with love and dignity and respect and honor and like family, that kinship, that we can be a part of just reminding people of how good they are and how good God is and like without even knowing it. Like it can be a small thing. So I'm I'm so humbled by that. So I feel like we're going to get into scripture. I also am really uh, not blown away, but it's so interesting how sometimes the reading of scripture or just seeing it a new way can unleash perspective, can like reorient our perspective, our lives, can speak to us so deeply into these places of doubt or question or fear or whatever and invite us into more wholeness. So I love that that was a part of your story. With that in mind, one of the book one of the books that you recommended to me before we get into scripture around our own set of scripture, you recommended that I look into the disabled god toward a liberator a liberatory theology of disability by Nancy L. Island and I have like loved every word of it. But one of the yes. things that that really stuck out to me when you talked about someone someone coming up to you and praying for you, to me it feels so. Um, I don't know, like that. I would like to believe that that person's heart was just they want you to experience the best life or what they have deemed the best life, which is your life without disability. And it reminds me of a line that talked about there are things that make us that are confusing in this picture. One of them is that Jesus went around healing people. So what was Jesus doing? I think that's a part of like some of my confusion or or tension and like block around disability is like, well, it seems like Jesus was trying to alleviate people of disability. Is that God's best for people? You're describing this is, this is how I have, come to understand this as this invitation to empathy and solidarity with other people who don't have access in different ways. And you've talked about coming out. And I think of other groups of people who have to come out and find pride in their identity. I think about, you've talked about this spectrum of belief and justice and advocacy and the spectrum that that creates. And I can think of other people who do that same kind of thing. And your disability has created solidarity. You understand when someone is dead set on justice and accessibility for the right to vote, the right to be, the right to marry, the right to all these rights. Uh, 
and you talked about having a community that's accessible, an experience where people can access community. So for me, one of those powerful lines in this book was that we romanticize, I think it talks about we romanticize the body or like this image of body that's fully able and we and the fact that Jesus has done all this healing, then we just assume that like, well, that everybody who's disabled needs to be healed now because of both the pictures we've seen of Jesus doing that and this romanticized picture of an able body that is like 2% body fat that can just, you know, run faster than everybody else, jump faster or whatever, especially like in Southern California or in like the United States or in like the social media era where we have access to like everything in the entire world at our fingertips in a phone. When you go back to those moments when people are trying to pray for you, like you talked about earlier, do you think I don't have faith enough? Do you think I don't pray enough? Do you think I, whatever that is, how do you respond to that Jesus is healing and this romanticized version of like a body? Hmm. <laughs> those are some big questions for sure. I think uh, I have, see, so the field of disability studies um, it is newer. I think it kind of takes its leaves from books, um, the books of um, racial justice and mm. queer theory. And, mm -hmm. and so then we have like crypt theory, right? Um, and so I would say mm, the secular disability studies field is probably light years ahead of what the disability oh. studies in in a religious or theological context mm -hmm. is, you know, a lot of people just 100% reject the religious or moral model of disability that might say um, you're disabled because you're sinful or you're, God doesn't want this for you. Or, mm -hmm. um, which I, this third aspect, which I do subscribe to within my Orthodox tradition, which is that, God uses my suffering in ways that are good for my salvation, good for the community, good for the life of the world. Um, and uh, a lot of uh, disability justice folks might disagree with me for subscribing to that. Um, it's, you know, maybe in a way kind of offensive, like, why does my suffering need to have meaning, right? It's like, mm -hmm. why do bad things happen to good people or, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and I think even the more progressive of disability studies theologians, even like, like Bethany um, McKinney Fox, mm -hmm. she, she'd say, well, why does it, you know, why does it have to have meaning? Or why do you know, why, or why do you have to be healed, right? Why, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, some people who are wheelchair users might say, well, in heaven, everyone, uses wheelchairs right mm -hmm. um and i see what you're saying about the tension between what christ does in scripture and what you know what do we do when you have people like me why well, didn't get healed and mm -hmm. yes i've prayed for it and yes i've had people pray for me mm -hmm. uh they were not uh always people on the street. They were people who, who with whom I shared relationships, yeah. um, <laughs> which is my preference. Um, yeah, for sure. Just as a very uh, kind of shy Minnesotan, I'm like, uh, no thanks, bye. But I can't say that as a Minnesotan. I have to say, sure, 
Uh. <laughs> um, so it it um and no I don't by the way uh, for anyone listening you do not have to ever let anybody pray for your healing um, yeah. and it it's good for me to practice saying no mm-hmm. um, and it is difficult for me to say no mm. um, and remains that way um, for as blunt as I am I sure freeze up in the <laughs> in the moment mm-hmm. uh, because there's a lot to unpack in that power dynamics and you know all kinds of things um, but with Jesus I think a lot of scholars have what I've seen is focused on what happens to the community when someone's healed Mm-hmm. Um, so Amos Young, mm-hmm. uh, Dean, yep. Dean of Fuller, he's got a book, uh, forgive me, the title is not renewing. Totally... I think it's renewing Christian theology or something like that. At least one of his uh, books. Yeah. That one, I think I know what you're talking about. This one's called like the Bible disability in the world mm-hmm. or not in that order, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he, he talks about his, um, brother who has down syndrome and so he comes from that perspective and he really put turn scripture on its head and says you know these are other ways we can think about these healings and things like that um i i do find those helpful um i really i just kind of cringe sometimes when healing is the preach passage of the day or whatever um because i just never know what's coming um (laughs) I cringe less in the Orthodox tradition because, and I say this totally tongue-in-cheek, Orthodoxy is more like suffering's good for you. It brings you closer to Jesus. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the, I mean, it, it's a good perspective. So like um, the guy in the, uh, who's trying to get to the pool to, to be healed and he can't get through it. He might be paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll say like, okay, Jesus got him and healed him, right? He got him into the waters. and um, But a disability uh, studies theologian might say, what was the problem that he couldn't get to the pool? Or was it the problem that people like weren't even helping him and didn't care? <laughs> they were blocking his way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was it really about the fact that he needed healing? Or did he live in a society that was never going to become accessible? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is what Jesus could do to help him the most. Was it to bring people a sense of wonder? Um, Was it really a, you know, and sometimes it's it's about Jesus saying, hey, it's not because you're sinful. It's just because you're disabled, like the blind man. You know, he, Mm -hmm. the parents are like, did we sin? Did we do something wrong? No, you didn't. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yet, of course, I ask why. I don't know why I wasn't healed and why others were. And I'm going to let God deal with that mm-hmm, <laughs> in mm-hmm. God's time. Um, and so for me, also, Mark, the tension remains. Um, I don't always agree with every interpretation of the story or focus, but I do find myself questioning how the the writers of scripture saw disabled people yes. and how how 
following that, you know, people who publish Bibles. Like, this one really gets me. They call him the Gerasene demoniac. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that dude's a human. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, I, I would be so offended if someone called me a demoniac. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Liz, I, I so much appreciate that thought about even in the Bible, there's a label that goes over this person's life that then we start seeing them through a different lens. We start interpreting their experiences. There's distance. So this is a demoniac. So of course they should be treated this way or they're not human. But I love that you bring us back to, no, this is a human. Was it, was it Christ's heart to move into that? Was Christ's heart broken in that moment around the way that this person had been separated from so many people, treated inhumanely? And the work of justice and love and advocacy in that moment is to create access. And back then, I think maybe the fastest way, like, is not a reform of that whole society, but it is to give this person a, a life that can no longer be labeled and othered in that way. One thing that I think that you brought up that is so important to me that changes a lot of like how we see scripture, the scripture is not from our time. Like the the whole worldviews around scripture, the world that it comes from is ancient. And that means that their perspectives towards disability back then were probably filled with so much superstition. It was what was handed to them. It was what was grafted onto them in the times that they were exiled into Babylon. They were part of Assyria. They were taken over. They were enslaved to Egypt. So their mindset around this was all this amalgamation and mix of these beliefs and worldviews and theologies around how do the gods punish humans? What does it mean from generation to generation to generation? And they're taking shots at the dark and they're they're proclaiming these things, but they're writing things down in a certain way from that worldview. And the Bible is an ancient text. And we have to remember that when we're reading the scriptures out of it, this isn't apples to apples and it comes from an entire worldview and history that is different than ours. So I love that you would bring that up so casually because I think some, a lot of us, we've grown up in churches where, look, this is the inerrant word of God. It is faithful to do what it says it's going to do and all these kinds of ideas. And those things are true. And the spectrum begins there. Well, inerrant to do what? Infallible to do what? And that's, there's a diversity of thought around that. And it's completely okay And it's completely orthodox to think differently. There's a diversity of orthodox thought around what it is infallible to do, what it is inerrant to do. But I think what we have to, Peter Enns talks about the Bible is ancient. So it comes from a different world. It's ambiguous. There are times where it might say one thing, but it doesn't mean that thing. It might be a euphemism for another thing. And we don't, unless we're in that world, we don't understand. Unless we've done that work or we've read some other work around it, we don't understand what actually is being said around that. Sometimes it's ambiguous. It's ancient, ambiguous, and it's diverse. It is this book that does highlight the perspective of a disabled person gives them a voice in a world, in an ancient world where they had no voice. 
that gives voice to slaves like Onesimus, that gives voices to women like Ruth, that gives voices to children like the boy who brings his lunch and shares with the whole, everyone on this hillside. This is different than any other book we've seen, but I love that you would remind us about the actuality around that and then also translation. And that every time that this is translated, someone is doing an interpretive job. They're interpreting what they think is the best way to help people navigate now or according to their own kind of deal. So that part is all really important. I love that you brought that up. To me, thinking through all of this that you've shared about disability, what I appreciate is how you step into advocacy and your posture around helping people change their perspective. What does it mean to make a small difference? What does it mean to move the needle? What does it mean to make my community, my home? How do I start with just my home? How is my home accessible? How is my home a part of creating justice for sisters and brothers who are disabled? And I have family members who are disabled. So I think through like their ability to walk in my home. How do I, what does space look like for them? But that's like, because of my proximity to this issue, I, I don't get away from it. For you, when you think about that, I, to me, there's a scripture that you brought up. And so I'm going to read it and let's kind of think through what could this mean for every one of us listening? What is our part to play in making the world more accessible, in making the spaces that we have influence in, our own little spheres of influence, how do we make them more accessible? So I'm going to pull open Luke, Luke chapter 21. I'll read just a couple small verses and then the double master, Liz, is going to give us some perspective here and we'll just kind of kick it around a little bit. What we want to know about Luke, I think that's helpful. And when we hear text from Luke, Luke, they call him the physician, but Luke's text really emphasizes the other. So Luke's going to try and write all these stories about others being welcomed back into the community, the Gentiles, the people who aren't supposed to be welcomed. These are the people that Luke is emphasizing. No, no, no. Jesus touched them. Jesus became with them. So Jesus identified with the unclean, quote unquote, those people who were ostracized because of a physical ailment, because of their ethnic or cultural background, Jesus not just identifies them, but prioritizes them. So here we find Jesus in this moment, paying attention to what's around him and making a declaration about what matters and how it matters. We're in Luke chapter 21. It says, Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all of them. They all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the day will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So Luke 21 verses 1 through 6. Liz, when you think about 
our conversation that we've had so far, what comes to mind for you around this text? <sighs> so much. <laughs> when I <laughs> when I first was reading through it, and I was really praying, um, I was thinking with the story about this widow. You, it's such a short little snippet of <laughs> scripture, right? It's like mm-hmm. what four sentences, um, yep. and I feel like you could come away with kind of that, hey, this poor widow gave everything she had. Um, And so you should give everything you have. But I also thought of it in the sense of it wasn't a lot. (laughs) What she gave was small. Mm -hmm. And sometimes everything we can give might be small. And I want to extend that to the accessible conversation and what it means to make um, churches and and coffee houses and, and, I don't know, you know, stores and theaters and all these things that we inhabit as people accessible. It is a, you know, I think we've talked about it a lot in the last three years, just as a, as a people, as humans, that the, the burden is great on all of us to do a lot of work, you know, to read about being an anti-racist, to, mm. to figure out, um, you know, how can we best include um, and begin a, a route of healing for, uh, you know, um, LGBTQ members of our communities and, and mm-hmm. um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and you know, um, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot yeah. to do, and we're all yeah. operating on really limited time, and there's never enough time, and we never. And so then it's like, well, screw it. I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I'm just, yeah. I'm too overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So for me, this scripture stood out because. I guess it spoke to my heart of just me kind of pleading with the wider community of, of my brethren and um, sisters and brothers. Um, hey, give a little bit. It doesn't have to be the world. Care mm-hmm. a little bit. Are, are, are your immunocompromised people not coming to Bible study anymore because no one's masking? Well, maybe mask, you know, so mm-hmm. that they can come. Um, right. It's a small thing. It's a small Mm -hmm. ask. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, always have your church do, um, streaming and always have captions. Mm -hmm. Then no one Mm -hmm. has to ask for them, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and it, those things can be given to people who are gifted, you know, the people who do the sound booths and the, um, captions and the songs that could be their task. And it's just one thing, you know, and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it will become habit as you do it more. Right. Um, it's tiring and difficult and, and kind of gigantic at first, but it's still your two mites. And mm-hmm. if everyone would give their two mites, <laughs> we'd be rich. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and so I think of that a lot. And then the second passage, I know it, Technically, biblical scholars would probably quibble with me and say, hey, hey, this is about the destruction of the temple. But what I would say is, I see it as Jesus saying, look at this beautiful temple, all the gifts, all the, you know, whatever's there, the stones, the gifts. But it's going to be taken down. So 
it spoke to me that I felt the spirit heavy on this. Like we can build the beautiful churches and the modern um, spaces in which Christians can worship or, you know, the coffee houses where we can hang. But if, if we're not bringing in all the people that are excluded, they're not going to thrive. You know, I think it's like, I'm bad at math. One in five, is that 20%? Yeah. Like yep. 20% of the population is disabled. So mm. you're missing out on the riches of 20% of our population's wisdom and contribution and presence and goodness. And sure, you can continue on and you're, you know, with steps leading up to your bookstore. But what if it was a ramp? You know, um, how many more people are you bringing in? And I think I want to emphasize, too, when it comes to access, this widow participated. Um, it isn't just about including disabled people or creating accessible spaces. It's also about mm -hmm. allowing participation and leadership. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't think people always think of disabled folks, marginalized folks as leaders. Mm. And yet so many are. Look at Nancy Eastland who wrote The Disabled God. What mm -hmm. a leader for our community, Absolutely. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and she, God rest her soul, she is dead now. Um, mm -hmm. But she was a leader for me. She spoke to me, right? Um, mm. Somebody gave her the, you know, means to produce her book, you know. Um, yeah. So we can build all these beautiful things, but if people can't get in, what's the point? You know, mm -hmm. what's the point? So that's kind of where I came from on those scriptures. I think, I think they just can speak to us and it can encourage us. We're contributing out of abundance. Then yeah, give everything. I would love for people to just donate all their money and make accessible spaces, you know, um, not to throw Fuller under the bus, but they, they, they uh, their fire plan was to essentially drag disabled people down the stairs if there's a mm -hmm. fire, mm -hmm. because there's no other way for us to come down. We can't use the elevators during a fire. Mm -hmm. What a what a dehumanizing, demoralizing, you know, act. Um, mm -hmm. And a liability, right, um, mm -hmm. for for the school, but just a, and it's it's seeing those things, starting to see those things, and I think, hey, if you can spend your two mites on that, just see it, see the ramps and the curb cuts and how far all those things are from the streets, and look at your church. Do you have disabled people leading, or have you kind of marked them as only to be served? and not mm -hmm. to have them serve you, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I so appreciate all of that perspective, Liz. I, for me, my first gut response was like out of like my old, um, like my embodied, uh, the, the faith I grew up in, which is basically like sacrifice it all for God. And so like I had this gut negative response to like Jesus lifting up this woman, giving her last, you know, two, you know, mites to the church. And in my mind, I'm like, I could just hear like financial specialists being like, 
pay yourself first. Pay yourself. Pay. Make sure you pay for a few. Pay yourself. Save children. Duh. Like I just hear all that stuff. And for me, like all of that is new. Like I just grew up in like a faith tradition, and I watched faith look like you give everything you have to the church, and then you just kind of let the cards fall where they fall. And I don't, you know, so that was like my gut response. But after you shared, it just made me think of not just like our mites or our financial ability to make a difference, but those of us who are able-bodied, like how do we give our gifts in service alongside our sisters and brothers who may be disabled? Like how do we let them describe reality for us? And then how do we respond to that? Maybe in ways that they can't. It could be financial, but it could also be, you know, like you talked about these, a ramp or or a lower third and the words and constant translation, all these kinds of things. For me, I just had that image of like when the water rises, when we make this more accessible to the person who has the least ability to access it, it just becomes more accessible for everyone. Like... All of us, like, instead of, like, stepping up steps, like, walking up a ramp is easier for everyone. Uh, so that came to my mind about accessibility for the farthest, the, those who have least access, just means accessibility for everyone, better accessibility. So that those are some of the things that come to me around that. Oh, that's beautiful, Mark. And that's exactly, I think, what most disability justice advocates want people to see that universal access means everybody has easier access. You know, even people who wouldn't identify as deaf or hard of hearing um, or hearing impaired, they all have their preferred terminology. Um, captions are nice. I watch British TV and sometimes I never know what they're saying. <laughs> you know, I'm like, uh, I just like captions or, you know, they got a, they've got like this dark background. I can't even see what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just nice to have that. And um, I really, I see how it just benefits us as a whole, right? Like, uh, and, and I think that's, the big goal for for disability justice is to say, you know, access is for everybody. Um, it's and it can only it can only go toward goodness. Like it's only going to get better, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And you know, I I really appreciate that you see me as somebody full of hope. I feel that I am uh, quite cynical. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it's never going to happen. It's just not, uh -huh. you know, I mean, I've lost jobs for being disabled. Yeah. You know, mm. I've, I, even at my last, my last, uh, job, um, <laughs> but the, uh, moving trucks would park across the disability parking spaces. And I would say, Hey, we can't do that. Not just because that's where I park, but because, all of our visitors park there and also it's illegal, you know, but it just yeah. happened again and again and again. And I'm like, well, am I just banging my head on a door? You know, am I, <laughs> um, but I, and that's why I try to kind of keep putting my hope in the, in the, these, these efforts that people make, may they be small, may they be big. 
they are happening. You know, I reached out to a guy, some guy wrote an article and he kept saying wheelchair bound. And I, I found him on Twitter and I sent him a little note and I was like, hey man, we don't really say that anymore. We'll say like wheelchair user um, because wheelchairs, al- uh, yeah, it allows for mobility mm. and freedom and independence. They're not mm. bound, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. um, and he just like wrote me a note back and was like, hey, thanks for that. Like, I'm going to think about that more and I'm changing my article. Like, and uh, it, I re- it was an article I read on Apple News. It was just some yeah. random, like, um, and, it, you know, and I try to really take hope in that. I like texted my whole family. I was like, oh my gosh, he heard me and he wasn't defensive. Uh, and, you know, like I would try to be really kind in my outreach as well, you know, mm-hmm, not to sort mm-hmm. of like call him out, you know. But just to be like, hey, bro, <laughs> you know, like yeah, this, yeah. this could be useful. Um, and that those kind of things get me excited. Being on this podcast is so humbling and such an honor. And it's it's mm. like to think, you know, maybe someone hears me talking about this is going to start thinking about, I don't know, building a ramp in their church. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I don't know, yeah. like putting yep. buttons to open the doors. I mean, just little things right and if we don't stop talking about it and we don't stop hoping then i think it can happen but hope is hard to come by (laughs) i think sometimes and it's uh and these are the kind of things that bring me hope so thank you for that i am so grateful (laughs) yeah oh you know for me one last word what came up for me when you talked about writing to that person sometimes we talked about the the demoniac and we demonize these people and we assume that there's intentionality behind a working like a framework that's working for them currently so they use this word wheelchair bound and we can take that personally we can be offended by that but i think that when we do that then we are doing we are demonizing that other person so we are othering them we are right. creating distance we are treating them as less than humane but when we speak to the best in them assume the best about them mm-hmm. then we're inviting them to participate as their best self we can make an assumption that hey this i'm just hey i just wanted you to know this is how we talk about this i know that if you know better you'll do better and sometimes some people don't but no one is like a demon sometimes we <laughs> act out of our woundedness sometimes we are ignorant sometimes we're angry we're sad we're hungry we're tired we make mistakes but we if we choose not to add to that demonizing others then we can invite people to be their best selves in whatever platform whatever spaces they have and to me liz that's who you are and i wow. love that so thank you. thank you for spending your time with us thank you for educating us and helping us to see disability through your eyes and inviting us to become advocates we can't wait for your book i know you're working on your book we won't share it's it's not out there yet it's not even uh we don't got the contract yet so we won't give any ideas about that no no intellectual properties going out there right now (laughs) but the world needs your book and your voice on these issues and i'm really grateful i can't wait to support however i can um kinship can't wait to support however we can Thank you, Liz. We appreciate you. Take Thank care. Thank you so much for having me.